everyone, Lou Rosenfeld, and you are listening to the Rosenfeld Review. Um, I have a special guest today, Jay Bustamante. Jay, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Um, Jay uh, has a great topic that's on <laughs> so many people's minds. It's really a, a shall we say, a melange of topics, uh, the intersection of design operations, AI, and ethics. Jay's a design ops leader and experience strategist at VMware. A uh, bunch of great people at VMware. Jay, I, I, I know we touched base on, on Red Dolan already. You'll have to say hi to him next time you talk with him. Uh, you know, um, always a bunch of good things coming out of there and um, really strong organization from my outside perch in terms of design operations. Um, before we get into your journey to VMware and uh, doing design ops there and how that's sort of taking you to this, this topic of AI and, and the ethics around it and what design ops role is in it, I should say to everyone listening that Jay is one of the speakers at this October's Design Ops Summit. That's going to be October 2nd through 4th. It's going to be virtual. If you listen to my podcast, you know I say this every time, but geez, I really mean it. Our virtual conferences are really enjoyable and engaging in ways that virtual conferences typically are not. And, and this is the Design Ops conference on the calendar. This is, uh, if you're a Design Ops person and you haven't made your hodge yet, uh, this is it. So um, come join us October 2nd through 4th, and you're going to get to hear from some great people, including Jay. So Jay's going to give us a little preview. But Jay, your journey. You got into design ops. Uh, let's see. Um, it seems like people have some weird paths, like, you know, they started in theater, and that somehow took them to design ops. Or radiology. What's your journey? Yeah, mine isn't quite as extreme as uh, radiology or uh, theater, but um, I did uh, go to school for creative writing, uh, kind of taught myself the design aspect of things, um, and then cut my teeth at like a press shop when I was real young. Um, I mean, they're almost not existent anymore. Can you say what a press shop is for the uninitiated <laughs> youngsters on this uh, podcast? So back before... Um, the uh, there used to be so many online it was before online presence was even a thing um i worked at a shop where jobs would come in when people needed things printed out and we would create the artwork you know actually make sure manually make sure and check that it was uh it was the way that it needed to be and mm -hmm. then you know, ran gigantic press jobs uh, so that felt, that feels like a million years ago and I feel like a dinosaur. Uh, got news for you, Jay. It, it actually was a million years ago, but, um, anyway. Yeah. So anyway, it was, it's a pretty wavy line. Um, and my career has taken me through everything from, um, like, uh, design, uh, digital design to every kind of print design that you can think of. Uh, I've always been passionate about, um, not wasting my time on things. So I think that's kind of how my side door into ops happened. I always created really tight processes around how I did things or how things were checked and that sort of thing everywhere that I've worked. So before I knew that design ops was actually a, an actual career path or maybe even existed in a formal way, 
I uh, always believed in really strong processes, which kind of, you know, one thing led to another, and I'm, uh, I'm doing it at VMware now, so. Well, let me ask you something about those tight processes that you've been creating for yourself and now for others for years and years. Um, I'm curious as to what's your palette um, of tools you use to um, manage those processes and maybe even to design them? Well, um, the my initial palette started out of necessity and it was uh, just based on the tools that were available to me. And uh, where I was working at the time, we were a Jira shop. Mm -hmm. So um, Jira became my number one way of managing everything. And I know that people get a little bit of an allergic reaction sometimes to, uh, to Jira. Um, as I still kind of tout it around <laughs> VMware uh, myself, but um, I've found that uh, Kanban boards and open transparency are amazing for getting what you need <laughs> and for informing people without having meetings. So uh, that's kind of the, the roots of where I where I've started all this up. Well, that's great, uh, and I I will put in a plug. We have a workshop attached to the Design Up Summit, one of six by Farid Sabatov and Daphne Bourne on using JIRA in a design ops okay. setting. Yes, everyone should take that. Um, so, so you make it into VMware. You're now a design ops person. Uh, how long have you been doing that work at VMware? Well, what's funny is I was actually brought into VMware to do the strategy work. Mm. But in the, in the, uh, the org that I landed in, I realized that there wasn't a, a design ops presence within that org. So... I just started doing the job <laughs> um, of of design ops. Started capturing uh, all the questions that I was asking coming in from being somebody who likes to have a really tight process. I realized those things didn't exist. So I just started creating those artifacts for all of us to use, um, and that kind of led to you know an unofficial slash official you know design ops lead role as well as uh, UX strategy. Did you know it was called design ops when you just started? filling that gap i did not <laughs> i didn't actually uh, i started googling um more recently uh, and when i say recently within the last year or two um i started googling like kind of the things that i was doing and i saw this term design ops come up a bit and then i actually joined the design ops assembly which is mm -hmm. where i learned so much <laughs> about the like normal not normalizing but uh formalizing the things that i was already doing plus learning so much about how other people had done things. And uh, I've found that as, as a plug, Design Ops Assembly is fantastic. Well, Meredith uh, Baxter Black's ears are burning right now, as they <laughs> probably do many times a day for this reason. Well, so, okay, so you were a gap filler. You saw a need. You didn't even know it was called, and yet you filled it. And I, I do think that's, like, the hallmark of a lot of people in our industry. It's why we're here in many cases, is we felt the call of something we couldn't name and we're willing to, to jump in and figure it out. So good on you, but, but now you're, you're figuring out something new and adjacent, uh, which is how design ops people, maybe, uh, maybe the, the right word, I don't know if it's harness AI, but deal with AI figure it out in a design ops context in an ethical way. And I wonder, like, I, I know that's your talk in, in a sense. Uh, is, is it, 
you know, are, are we going to be having the same conversation in 10 years? I'm wondering. Well, I think the conversations are going to kind of evolve personally. Um, so what I, what's kind of really put this on my radar is I, as soon as I saw like the influx, like this is going to be a really big year for AI. I've kind mm -hmm. of, kind of talked about a bunch of different tech things and get notifications on that. Um, my first thought was we don't have processes in place for implementing any of these AIs like, and with that comes the whole conversation around what are we feeding mm -hmm. AI, you know, so the, uh, and, and the, the term that I read over and over and over again is bad in equals bad out. Mm -hmm. So if that information, that bad information or the information is incomplete, or we just don't know, like the, um, just a really little side note here, like, um, very early on in my uh my and i call them conversations my conversations with chat gpt i asked the question if i were to implement you into my business what what are the what do i absolutely need to get right the very first answer it gave it gave four or five answers but the very first answer it gave is having the uh, an appropriate use case for the ai mm -hmm. um, and I could tell that that was going to be just that little tiny, just that sentence right there was going to be a problem because right now everybody thinks AI and a customer or a user goes, Oh, you have, you've implemented AI. All my problems are solved. But uh, in truth, all it really leads to is a lot of frustration on the user's end because it's not doing, nobody's asked the user what they would use AI for. Mm -hmm. So it goes back to like the whole circle of life of the design ops needs to be in here at the very beginning, be proactive in any kind of AI implementation to ensure that the user is first and foremost. And uh, so and anyway, the, I know that I listed a whole bunch of different things there. But... Well, yeah, I mean, so first of all, I guess one question I would have is, um, the, the the answer may depend on theory versus reality, but our design ops people are the ones who should be getting out in front and before anyone else even starts saying, how are we going to use AI? Should you be the ones asking the question and directing the effort or is it more of a reactive thing? Well, I think that uh, companies or businesses are under tremendous pressure to release or they're putting tremendous pressure on their teams to uh, integrate AI mm -hmm. in some mm -hmm. form or another, be it generative or some sort of smart things that are happening in the background. So I think what ends up happening is engineering teams have a really good idea of what they feel like the AI will be able to do or help. So that that age old, you know, uh, where does research fit in here? Who's asking the questions? And then the added complexity of who's checking the data because there's so much stuff that happens when the uh, it's not clean data mm -hmm. um, and uh the the byproduct of it there's i mean there are so many examples and not just by like little companies or like one-off things here and there there are examples by you know industry giants like amazon where you know uh mitigating some um some bias up front would have saved them, you know, a bit of PR 
and uh, heartache. No, I don't know. If sure. Heartache. I mean, there's heartache in there too, but uh, it, it also just alienation of their brand and stuff like that as well. Um, can you, uh, without maybe naming names, or if you want to name names, can you tell us a story about uh, a, a a situation uh, where things did go off the rails because of the lack of questions being asked up front? Yeah, uh, since I already teased Amazon, I can use their mm -hmm. uh, their example here. Um, so uh, this was a, a little while back, uh, and I'll, I'll preface this story by saying they've come an awful long way since this. Um, but there was a time where uh, Amazon wanted to automate their hiring process, basically. Mm -hmm. So they uh, ideally they wanted to just create this this engine where, hey, I'm going to give you a hundred resumes here. And you're going to spit out the top five, and we're going to hire those those people. Um, and in theory, that sounds like, hey, that's a great concept. If we could do that, we could eliminate so much of X, Y, Z, right? So uh, what ended up happening though is they started feeding um, the, the the AI information. The information they were feeding it was basically their own hiring practices over a ten year period. But during that time, and and also the industry itself is super skewed towards male engineers. Mm. So uh, what ended up happening is because there was no bias mitigation or the, the, the correct bias mitigation wasn't put into place, the AI started to learn, oh, you prefer hiring males. You prefer hiring people who say things like executed or captured or things like that that typically end up in like male engineer resumes. So it automatically started to bias against uh, candidates that said things like, that, that use the term women's mm -hmm. also like women's chess champion or women's tennis you know captain or whatever and it also penalized uh graduates from like all women colleges and stuff like that so um although amazon uh has you know they they stopped that when, when they kind of realized they, they looked here and they were like this is not good they stopped it um there was a a small period of time there where the recruiters were looking at the recommendations and not solely lying, uh, relying on it, but going, oh, well, these, let's take a look at these candidates, not necessarily looking at who was discarded or who wasn't uh, brought to the top or asking the questions of why these people. And uh, a lot of the times it's hard to do that, to go back and ask the AI why these things, if it's not something it's it's uh, been trained to do to answer those types of questions. So, um, so yeah. there's, there's a lot of self-reinforcement uh, of uh, existing biases, obviously. And uh, I mean, that's one of the, the scariest things uh, about relying certainly on LLMs. I want to dig a little bit more into understanding the, the nuances of the data. As you, you, you know, you're mentioning that we want to feed the right data in as well as have a, a good use case from the very get-go. That's a lot of meat to dig into. Um, Let's do that after the break. We're going to take a quick one. We'll be right back. Everyone, you are listening to the Rosenfeld Review. Hey, it's Lou, and I am here to tell you that we have another conference coming up. And this one is the biggest one that we do all year. It's the Design Ops Summit. It's taking place virtually October 2nd through 6th, 2023. You're going to want to be part of it. Even if you're not a design ops practitioner, you might be without realizing it. Certainly if you're a design manager, design program manager, 
design leader or someone who works with things like research repositories, design systems, I think you probably are doing something related to design operations. And uh, we have just launched the program. You're going to want to check it out. It is En Fuego. Hope to see you October 2nd through 6th at the Design Ops Summit. Welcome back to the Rosenfeld Review. Lou Rosenfeld talking with Jay Bustamante, Design Ops Leader at VMware, speaker at October's uh, Design Ops Summit. Uh, we are talking about uh, Design Ops' role in sort of uh, <laughs> making sure that um, we're considering the ethical implications of AI in our organizations as designers. And we were just digging into a couple areas, Jay. One was, um, you know, the design ops professional's role in helping think through and make sure there's a reasonable use case for the use of AI, uh, as well as, you know, the, the making sure that uh, it's not a garbage in, garbage out situation, that we're actually uh, ensuring that the data that's feeding uh, these and uh, probably primarily LLMs is actually not uh, creating bigger problems down the road. So let's first talk about the the use case issue. Is you know it, are use cases even being developed for the use of some of these tools? Um, you know, are, are you finding that you have to come up with them, or you are testing ones that are being brought to you? Do you have to insert yourself into a conversation that they don't not normally think to even invite you to? Uh, so the answer to that is yes. <laughs> <laughs> of course. It's uh, it's yes. Um, I would say that, uh, and, and one of my firm beliefs is to being proactive is ultimately always better than being reactive to anything. Uh, so I've uh, been trying to simultaneously develop processes that include these things early on uh, so that we can get out in front of it, make sure that research, we're able to, to tap the right people to go do the research to make sure that mm -hmm. we come back with the right solutions uh, or the right uh, solution for the AI to, to jump in and help. But that said, I mean, reactive is a lot of our uh, real life day to day of what's happening. So it's trying to kind of, uh, uh, not necessarily shoehorn, but kind of, you know, wiggle what we do know, what we don't know, and that sort of thing. And again, against that time and pressure to release something, uh, to get something out there. Uh, but yeah, it, it definitely is. Uh, it's a yes to, to that question. Are, are there use cases or, or just situations in general that um, uh, where you know that uh, AI is, is being considered that raise red flags for you right away? Um, yeah, we have some uh, definitely like colleague facing things that uh, there's not 100%. Like there's a, a an intense desire to include AI, but without um, a real uh, study done on what is the most impactful need. Uh, and, and I think that that, to me, that raises flags uh, is simply because Without that, how? what is the AI even doing? <laughs> what is it doing there? And then also the training side of the, the, so the other side of that, of the training, those users of 
what are the capabilities? How do I talk to this AI? What is this AI doing? What can I reasonably expect to get from the AI? Because none of these things are, uh, I don't think any of these things are being considered uh, upfront. Mm-hmm. So what ends up happening is, you know, some sort of release is going to happen and go, hey, we're so excited to introduce XYZ to you. And you can start using it immediately. Um, and, uh, you know, here's a little training video or here's a little video of, of how it works. Um, but uh, without having that conversation, like start at the beginning, <laughs> there may be plenty of users who are like, that's great, but that's not, that doesn't really affect what I actually need this for. Or the opposite, they hear AI and then they just tune out and immediately they start thinking of all the possibilities and they get in there and they're frustrated because it's not necessarily doing what they expect it to. In uh, both cases, it sounds like your role and maybe design's role in general is to slow things down. Definitely, yeah. yeah. It always seems like uh, we we play the villain card in that of mm-hmm. like everybody, everybody's on board with getting this out fast. Why are you asking questions now? you know, type of thing. And it's a matter of where we're being brought into the process, right? So if design is being brought in at an execution stage, no one's happy about the questions that design's asking at that point. Well, and and let's face it. I mean, you know, what we take for granted in design is not necessarily what a lot of other people are thinking about. Uh, For example, I was just at a product management conference not long ago and the keynoter recommended uh, that people move fast and break things. It's 2023, folks, and and uh, really? <laughs> I thought that was pretty shocking. So it only left me with the feeling like, yes, we have to be that uh, that villain or that skeptic or whatever, because uh, kind of, uh, arguably the world's depending on it. But, um, you know, let's also talk about the data side. Uh, now, you, you mentioned earlier the need to be careful about feeding data into uh, these AI systems because the the bias implicit in that data will then be reinforced by what the system advises the user. Um, Let's like, what does it mean to feed better data or the right data? Is it, and are you talking about statistical data? Are you talking about like more semantically rich data that that reflects opinion and experience or or something else altogether? Well, I think it's a combination of all those things. And honestly, I feel like our role in uh, for design ops is to make sure that the right people are invited to the conversation. So when we're measuring against that use case, we can ask the right questions of that data to ensure that Hey, if, if, if our user was looking for uh, the capability of viewing, you know, uh, X, Y, Z and comparing that data against uh, previous or others more successful sales or whatever that is, but that's not the kind of data that we've fed the AI, it's going to, again, it's just going to lead to kind of frustrated users or frustrated Mm -hmm. customers, right? Uh, So ensuring that there are data scientists, that there are machine learning experts, that there are uh, you know, engineers plus people from the business. So all of the voices are being heard. So we can, th- those conversations can be had very early on in the process. And everybody who 
has a say is at the same table, having the same conversation, you know, kind of moving along together as the process kind of goes forward. You know, and um, as you were describing all the different people that need to be at the table, uh, I'm thinking, what about the people from humanities? And then I remembered that uh, you've got a creative writing background. So I'm I'm really glad you're there at VMware, but I think we need more people like you uh, to to kind of counterbalance the completely technical bent uh, of a lot of the uh, groups of decision makers in a lot of these settings. Um, and really my takeaway from a lot of what you're talking about is that a design ops person, and tell me if you if I'm getting it wrong, but a design ops professional should really be proactively looking for situations where AI is is uh, being considered or maybe hasn't even been considered yet and um, maybe try to identify the more appropriate settings or appropriate use cases to question the use cases from uh, both ethical and, um, well, it's really the same thing, but user-centered perspective. And then uh, make sure that the right people are involved with feeding the right information uh, to to these systems, not just the right information, but maybe um, maybe questioning. Like, I guess another question I have, and it just shows my lack of knowledge of, of LLMs at least, is do you see getting that team of people together to just do the initial feeding of a system with data or is it does it go beyond that to the training yeah i think that there's uh there's kind of a holistic view of where the where you want to go with the entire uh solution whatever that ai solution is there has to be a holistic view of where it's going i think it's important for all of these different players to have and share that same goal together mm-hmm. um and i think that that has to align with the users so making it user centric, uh, having user, uh, excuse me, having research that's that's a part, not not only a part of that, but is advocating for what they know about the user as well. But I, as as you pointed out too, like from the humanities perspective of it, I think that there needs to be a strategist that's also a part of this process who's in there, also advocating for the users, and there need to be all of these different people. We all want to arrive at the same place. So you want to generate milestones to make sure that you're getting there together uh, along the way. Um, and I think that all of those people need to be involved to make sure that their personal check marks are being ticked off as you go. Well, Jay, that sounds like uh, a, a very different conception of what design ops is about than, uh, you know, just uh, managing a design system or a research repository. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like to think of, uh, of of us design ops folks as a lot more integrated into the whole team's facilitators and making sure that these things are happening, that the right people are involved at the table, that sort of thing, too. Uh, like I said, since I didn't know that this was even a thing that existed, this is just kind of what I always ran around and did and just mm-hmm. went like, engineering, I need you to come get into this conversation. Uh, and business, you need to be here as well because we all need to hear each other and we all need to understand what we need 
together because if not we're going to run into tech debt later and all that other stuff that kind of flows out of that um tech debt brand debt ethics debt (laughs) you name it well uh, they're very lucky to have you there to 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 um to 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 squash debt as much as possible hey jay (laughs) we're gonna have to wrap it up but before we do so um i'd love to know what gift or gifts you brought our listeners what should they know about Sure. Yeah. So um, with regards to all this this data that we've been talking about, there's a couple of really great resources out there and they're um, they're open uh, source things that you can start to look at today to kind of start plugging in to do uh, like fairness checks, that sort of thing within the data that you're getting. And it'll actually help you try to mitigate some of that as well. And one of them is called uh, AI Fairness 360. And it's uh, it was created by IBM, and the other is called FairKit, F-A-I-R Kit, K-I-T, uh, Learn, um, and that one's a Python toolkit. But uh, the the two of them uh, together are really great starting points for looking at the data that you already have, that you've already fed to the AIs, that sort of thing too, for checking for those biases and uh, ensuring that you're 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 going to the destination of where you want to get to. Well, that's certainly an appropriate pair of gifts for uh, people who've uh, joined us today and, and uh, listened in. And um, I know I learned a lot, and I really am looking forward to your talk at the Design Up Summit in October. Thank Jay, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. All right. We'll see you in October. Thanks for listening to the Rosenfeld Review, brought to you by Rosenfeld Media. If you like our show, please subscribe and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast platform. I'd love it if you tell a friend to have a listen and check out our website for over 100 podcasts with other interesting people. You'll find them all at rosenfeldreview.com.